When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk. Buckeyes out of the tournament. Doug Lamarie, Stephen Means. Stephen was in Pittsburgh all weekend. Covering this, we're wrapping up Ohio State's basketball season, which ended with a 10 point loss to Villanova on Sunday. Seven seed Buckeyes out against the number two seed Wildcats, who will now go on to San Antonio to face Michigan. Stephen, we don't get the Ohio State-Michigan matchup in the Sweet 16. I know people ah, people were thinking about it. It was entering entering the brains. It was starting to work its way around in there, what that might have looked like. Would you uh, maybe anticipating having some fun in San Antonio with those guys? I looked at the cost of flights, um, and our company is saving a lot of money by me not mm. having to go to San Antonio. I'll say that much. Yeah, I thought about it for a second because there was – a 10% part of me after the Loyola game and then also watching Delaware hang around with Villanova for at least the first 25 minutes of that game. I thought maybe they can pull this off. Um, but then Villanova showed why they were a number two seed in that Delaware game. And I was like, nope, they're not going to win this game. It's going to play out the exact same way as the Delaware game. So um, let's start with, we have a lot to cover with the game, with the Loyola win, which we have not had a podcast about that. We want to talk about that a little bit and give Ohio State credit for that win. We want to talk about the future. We want to talk about EJ Liddell. We want to talk about Malachi Branham and Chris Holtman. But let's start, Stephen, with you were there. So what was the reaction like from Chris Holtman, from EJ Liddell, from this team? Were they heartbroken? Did they feel like this was a this season was an opportunity lost? Did they expressed pride in the fact that they made three, I thought, three hard runs at Nova in the second half, and the third one almost broke through, got it down from a 15-point lead to a two-point lead at some point. E.J. Liddell played like a star. Malachi Branham played like an emerging star. What what was the vibe of the Ohio State Buckeyes as their season ended? I mean, E.J. and Malachi clearly been crying, and E.J. was still crying as he got up to the podium, and I think with E.J., it's a little bit more emotional just because it's, I mean, he's not coming back. His coach has been pushing him out the door publicly all season. And it's very clear that this was going to be his last go at it. And he played pretty well. Um, made a couple of mistakes, but he played pretty well. But it's, you know. 
I don't know he doesn't feel like this, but there can be he does have a room if he wants to say it that he his time here was wasted in terms of what he developed into as a all a legitimate all American player. He made uh, second team all American, I believe, this year for the AP. I put him on my third team ballot. And I mean he was one of the best players in the Big Ten and what he has to show for it is a upset loss to a 15 seed, a loss in the second round to Villanova, where it was basically the he and Malachi Branham show, and a year where a, a phantom Sweet 16 season, according to Chris Holtman. And so his production doesn't necessarily match the team's success. And so if, I know he doesn't feel that way, but he would have every right to feel that way if he does. But he's more just heartbreaking because the season is over and he doesn't want to be. While with Malachi, he got his first taste of the NCAA tournament, and now it feels like, is he going to get another taste of it, or is he going to say, I'm done with this and go pro? While with Chris Holtman, I think it can be summed up with this quote. Um, and to the question about you know, emotions and stuff like that, he answered, I think the injuries played a major role. We didn't have the team we anticipated having, but I was really proud proud of the week. But the we didn't have the team we anticipated having basically sums up this season in terms of, you look at what Villanova brought to the table. They had four guys in double figures. They had five guys in double figures in their first game against Delaware, but they were counting on four guys every single night to bring it. While with Ohio State, it was, hey, EJ, can you carry us until Malachi is ready? And then it's, hey, EJ and Malachi, can you guys carry us to the Sweet 16? And the answer was no. Uh, so I will say that while that – is true to some extent. I think a little of that goes a long way. If I were Chris Holtman, I would be careful about how much you put this on injuries because um, you had your two best guys the whole time and Mm -hmm. teams have injuries And I get that Justice Suing was supposed to be the third leading scorer. And I get that Kyle Young was the glue guy of this team and was missed in the last month of the regular season when he was out. And I get that Zed Key's injury compounded Young's absence because they wind up in a spot where Joey Brunk is playing their big man minutes late in the regular season. But there's like, this is kind of how it works. You have injuries and um, they basically had, their team today, you know, like they had their two dudes and Kyle Young was back and everybody went, made a big deal about how well Kyle Young played against Loyola and Zed Key was back. And so I get it. Justice Suing's been out the whole year, but uh, I don't know that he's, I don't think they lost to Villanova today because of injuries. Is that fair to say? Now, I, I obviously had an effect on the season, but it wasn't why they lost today. And it, wasn't and you can't just point to injuries and when you point to the Nebraska loss and the Maryland loss and the Penn State loss in the final month of the season you can't just say well you know hey we only had two pros we couldn't we couldn't beat Maryland with only two pros they still had more good players than either Maryland or Nebraska and so it's one of those things if he should let us say that I don't know if he should spend a lot of time talking about that because you just got to fight through this stuff. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I'm not I'm not here to rag on the basketball team right now because I don't think that's what it's about right now. But actually, I'm I'm not aggravated, but I'm like that. I'm slightly aggravated by, like, if his end of the season quote is, well, we would have been better if we didn't have injuries. It's like, dude, it's sports. People get injured. And you always had your two best guys. 
And like today against Villanova, did Ohio State have two of the three best players in the game? Is it Gillespie, Branham, and Liddell? Yeah. They're the three best players. So yeah. Villanova's deeper. I get it. That's where Justice suing and no Kyle Young at the mm-hmm. end. I get it. I get it. I get it. But listen, man, like, I don't know. Should I just talk me off the aggravation list? Because I didn't come here aggravated. I didn't. I didn't come here aggravated, but I'm suddenly aggravated. It's a – he said it a lot this year, and I think we kind of get the point. That, yes, to be completely honest with you, outside of maybe two games, two or three games, after since Branham has become Branham, so since January, outside of maybe two games um, during that stretch, has Ohio State not had two of the three best players? And really in most of them outside of maybe like the Iowa game and the second Wisconsin, and then the second Wisconsin game, They've had the two best players. And if the, the case is, okay, yes, three, two, nine are, all, are mostly on the other roster, fine. But we get it at this point. You don't have to say it after every single game. It's not the reason they lost today. It's the reason they're in the position they're in today to have to lose today because they should be a higher seed than this, along with the way you close out the season. But it's it shouldn't be the first thing that comes out of your mouth. Of, oh, we lost this game because Villanova's guy, number three through nine, are better than our three through nine. I do agree with that aspect. Yeah, they lost this game a month ago. They lost yes. this game by losing to Maryland and Nebraska. I said, I I think, because I texted, I said it's quite possible that Ohio State is, was one of the 16 best teams in the mm-hmm. NCAA tournament. I might even move that up to probable. I, I might. But I also want to talk about the Loyola game a little bit. But they wound up playing. I have Villanova in the national championship game. I think Villanova is definitely one of the six best teams. But the whole point is they shouldn't have been playing Villanova. Like Arkansas is a four seed in the Sweet 16. Ohio State's probably better than Arkansas. And I don't know squat about Arkansas. But Ohio State should have been a five seed against Arkansas. Illinois couldn't get it done against Houston. Illinois was a four seed. Houston's a five seed. Houston, by the way, which also had like some severe injuries this year, found a way to get to its third straight Sweet 16 with injured guys. I think Ohio State, like Ohio State beat Illinois while they were injured. And then Illinois kind of came out and Illinois for the second straight year didn't have a great tournament. I think Ohio State could have beaten an Illinois type team. Illinois is a four seed, right? They wouldn't have played Illinois. But uh, the fours and the fives that are around right now, I think Ohio State could have beaten. And all they had to do was beat Nebraska and Maryland while Kyle Young was hurt. And they would have been playing one of those teams. And I know they played a lot of games, and I know Kyle Young was hurt, and I know Kyle Young's important, but how do you lose to Nebraska and Maryland when you still have Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell? And, you know, they they weren't losing to Purdue. They weren't losing to Wisconsin. They lost to Maryland and Nebraska. This team should have been a five. And I don't think Ohio State, Ohio State, I don't think Ohio State at its best beats this Villanova team. Because I actually have a, question I'll ask you about this Villanova team but that's it right they should have been a five what should they have been they were a seven seed they were the worst seven seed they were practically an eight what should they have been a five a six a four what should they have been they should have been a four or five seed and they were gonna be had they (laughs) it's funny of the last four games of the season if you'd going into that those last two weeks if you just said okay which one of these games do they lose that's the only one they won right you get that game 
So basically, if you just handle your business in the other three, you go four and no to close out the season, you get a top four seed, and then you lose to I don't know, you probably win the first the, that, that Friday game just because you're a four seed, but then you lose on Saturday. Okay, cool. They had have been a four seed. And they're probably headed to the Sweet 16 right now. And I just and again, I don't I, I I'm sorry. I came in open minded. But the idea of like what happened to your seat, it's like, well, our third best player got hurt. How can we possibly ugh. I mean, once your third best player's hurt, that's it. It's like, what are you talking about? You have two pros. What are you talking about? Figure it out. They also, their roster's not as deep. I want to talk about this Villanova team because Chris Holtman, in the day leading up to the game, you know, said all kinds of interesting things. He he had played against Villanova and Jay Wright a lot when he coached at Butler. He had success against Jay Wright and Villanova. He had a funny quote about, I've stolen so much from Jay Wright and his program, and I never told him about it. When you look, so I, I, I obviously I'm not there. I'm watching the game on TV. They were talking a lot about Colin Gillespie and how he was sort of an understudy to Jalen Brunson, who was sort of the engine for Villanova's two national championship teams. Jalen Brunson is not Ja Morant. Jalen Brunson is not Devin Booker. Jalen Brunson is not Donovan Mitchell. Jalen Brunson's like a nice NBA player. Like he's not, he's a very, 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 he was national player of the year in college, right? But he's not, he's not Kobe, right? And and when you think about Villanova, they have really, really, really good basketball players. They're not Kentucky. They're not Zion. They're not Duke. They're not. Is Villanova what Chris Holtman wants his Ohio State program to be? Is that like you get a little bit better guard play, you get sort of maybe a group of big guys, but we don't have to have two lottery picks on every team but we have a depth of knowledge about we have a culture, we have a system, we ha- we have a way of playing and we have really good good college basketball players when Chris Holtman says I've stolen so much from Jay Wright and he doesn't even know it. Is there a part of Chris Holtman that says see what Nova is? That's good enough to win national championships. That's how I want Ohio State to be. Am I going too far? No, that's exactly what he wants because this is not Duke in Kentucky and UCLA when it's flying on all cylinders. You know, it's not one of those places where you're going to get the one and dones every single time around. He mentioned Jalen Brunson. He mentioned Kyle Lowry and he, along the lines of Kyle Gillespie. We understand, like, Kyle Lowry's an NBA All-Star and Olympian, all that stuff now. But he wasn't that when he showed up at Villanova, and he wasn't even that when he got to the NBA. He developed into that late in his, in his career. He was a guy who needed some time to develop. Jalen Brunson was a five star, but it's not like he's an NBA. As you just said, it's not like he's an NBA All Star now. They went and got quality guys who aren't necessarily. Those are two guys that he mentioned who aren't necessarily one and done players, even two and done players. They stuck around for a little bit, developed, and they, you know, Jalen Brunson won a national championship because of it. But those are the type of players Jay Wright has had to get time and time again. How many one and done players has Villanova had during Jay Wright's time here? And yet he's still, you know, a Hall of Fame coach and all those that stuff. That's the see. That's best case scenario for Holtman at Ohio State. Where yeah, you're gonna get the Malachi Branhams and the EJ of the world who like can come in here and after one season, like, hmm, should he go pro? But more than likely, your best ca- best case scenario is getting a bunch of EJ Liddells who are here for two or three years yep. and developing the lottery picks. The problem is they only have one EJ Liddell on this roster, and then they have a Malachi Branham, and everybody else probably shouldn't be here the depth of talent even at 
Ohio, 100% Ohio State. Villanova's depth of talent. They have a couple big guys, right? A little bit better depth mm-hmm. of the big guys. The guard play is a little better. Was just better than Ohio State's. Even at even Ohio so State at better. its best, right? I mean, like Villanova, I thought, and I, I let me let me finish my question there. I know sometimes people think, Doug, your question is a, a 900-word statement in the form of a question. Villanova has more talent and is a better team than Ohio State this year, right? Yes, yes. So I thought, because I'm watching I'm watching the pregame show. I'm watching Clark and Chuck and Kenny make their picks. And they were talking about how it's going to be a dogfight down to the end. And I did think I thought people got I thought some people got a little out over their skis with Ohio State after the Loyola game. Because it was like Ohio State came out and played its best defensive game of the year, but Loyola didn't have a lot of skill. And I picked Loyola to beat Ohio State. So I'm not going to like downplay that win for Ohio State. They played a tremendous defensive game against that team. But as you had pointed out beforehand, Loyola didn't have a lot of skill, dudes. They were a connected offensive team, they were a defense first team. They didn't have a, one, a lot of one on one guys. That was a chance for Branham and Liddell to be clearly the two best offensive players in that game. And then it's like, okay, Ohio State could lock them down, but that doesn't mean they're going to lock down Colin Gillespie and what Villanova does. And then Villanova played a pretty good defensive game, at least for like the first 25 minutes before Ohio State got hot, in much the same way Loyola did. That it was Ohio State's defense that beat Loyola, and there was no way that Ohio State was going to be able to play that good of a defense against Villanova. It felt like maybe it's just because Clark Kellogg went to Ohio State or people like wanted to talk about Ohio State. Maybe it's just because we cover Ohio State, and so everything's through the Ohio State lens. It felt like the the conversation for some people was like, oh, Ohio State this, Ohio State that. It was sort of like, yeah, but who cares? Villanova's still better, yeah. right? Like, I, I, For a second, I think maybe some people lost sight of, well, yeah, but how are they going to stop Colin Gillespie? Loyola doesn't have a guy – you know, who's who's even one-third as good offensively as that guy is. That's the difference. I think Ohio State played with the same defensive intensity in both of these tournament games, except Villanova has guys that can tell you good defense, but good offense means good defense every day. Loyola didn't have guys who could do that. Gillespie was hitting some tough shots. Yep. Uh, Justin Moore, it took him a little time to get going, but he started hitting some tough shots. Samuel's shots were tough. Dixon is out there making three-pointers. And I'm thinking, if anybody on the court, that's a good defensive possession if Dixon's the guy who's taking the three-pointer. And he was knocking them down. That's the difference. Loyola didn't have guys like that, which is why when there were a couple of possessions where Gillespie would hit some shots, and I'm like, yeah, that's why Villanova's going to win today because Ohio State's using the same strategy of we're going to play a high-intense defensive game because it might take our best two players some time to get going because they're getting doubled and triple teamed the entire time. And eventually Ohio State's going to go on the run, but it's not going to matter. And that's what we saw in the second half is Ohio State made its run, got it down to two, but then it reached a point where every time Ohio State did something where it felt like they were getting some momentum, somebody on Villanova's team hit a big shot. All right, quick break. We'll come back. Lots more to talk about with the basketball Buckeyes as their season ends. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarice and Stephen Means back here, wrapping up Ohio State's basketball season. State, Nathan, or Stephen, is this a correct statement? Ohio State had a Sweet 16 caliber team each of the last two seasons. It's There's some bad luck here that 
they had a good regular season last year, good enough to earn a number two seed, and then they just lost in overtime to a 15. And then this year, they blew the end of the regular season, which forced them to play a two in the second round where they played a game. Like if if they had played the two games they played against Loyola and Villanova this year in the tournament last year against Oral Roberts and Florida, they would have been in the Sweet 16. And, and you know, like it's 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 and I don't know what that is. Maybe it's just like blowing it. I mean, honestly, it's like they found two different ways to blow these seasons that they were a two seed and they had an inexplicable loss. And then now they got healthy in the tournament and played in a way that made you think, man, this this team had a lot more in them. They just ran into a buzzsaw on Villanova. So what do we make of that? Is that bad luck? Is that life? Is that Chris Holtman's teams find a way to lose? Like, how much do we hold this against the program? Because I think you would, in the end, look at both these seasons and how, however much you tie in injuries and sort of view what their peaks were and say they underachieved. I'll chalk the injuries up to luck because that's what injuries are. I mean, that's part of sports is who's lucky enough to stay healthy. Everything else is on the program. Because this isn't, every, this is not every other year or once every blue moon. Because I mean, even Tom Izzo has some you know blunders where you're going, man, that was a much better team that shouldn't have lost in the first round or second round of the tournament. We're five years into this thing, and we can sit here and say that only once has a team done more than what it should have done, while all the other teams done have done less. He maximized yeah. his first roster. Um, and it's actually, no, I'll, even the second roster, because they shouldn't have got to the Sweet 16 my first year on the beat. That team sucked. The last two years, they very much underachieved, whether it was in the tournament or leading up to the tournament. And then we can't even really talk about year three because obviously COVID happened. But the last two years, they have not maximized this roster for whatever reasons you want to chalk it up to. But that's most of that falls on coaching and then guys not executing. And I will say, people are all over John Calipari right now. They are all over John Calipari for losing to a 15 seed, just like Ohio State did last year. Let me run back Kentucky (laughs) the last several years. Okay, so they lost as a two seed this year to a 15 seed. Last year, they didn't make the tournament. They had an awful covid year they were nine and 16 awful the year before that they won the sec but the tournament was canceled okay so like the last two years have been bad and the year before that was canceled here's what they did before that elite eight sweet 16 elite eight round of 32 final four national runner-up nit national champs final four elite eight and they are all over just calpari (laughs) There are people you can go to the comment sections of stories about Kentucky basketball and people are ready to be done with him on two bad years, two bad years. And before that, they're in the elite eight constantly. And then, and then people like, Oh, well, I was, it was so hard on Chris. Holmes. They, they've never made, they've never made the sweet 16. 
Michigan just made it seventh straight sweet 16. Ohio State hasn't made it since 2013. So I'm not saying that people who want Chris Holtman on the hot seat are justified necessarily, Stephen. But I'm just telling you, man, you blow it in the tournament for a couple years and people come out after you no matter what you did in the past. And Chris Holtman's, as we've covered a million times, his peak at Ohio State's not much of a peak. John Calipari is like, could I stack Final Fours more often for you people? And they're like, oh, my God. Oh, lose to St. Peter's. Can we get I don't can we get the ghost of Joe B. Hall back in here? I don't know who they went. Who they want? Can we get Jay Wright to come from Villanova and take over Kentucky? This is a disgrace. It's like you've made the Sweet 16 like every year before that. It's just the reality of the situation. Sometimes, so again, it's not that it's not that people who want Chris Holtman fired tomorrow are correct, because I do not think they are. But I also don't want to act like Chris Holtman is the most unfairly maligned coach in college basketball because people are ready to run John Calipari out of Lexington. I mean, yeah, the list of <laughs> the list of t- number two seed coaches to lose the number 15 teams is probably got to be the most prestigious list in college basketball history right now. I mean, you've got Calipari, you've got Izzo, you've got Coach K on that list. It's a, it's, it's a little impressive. But, yeah, that's – I mean, well, also Kentucky basketball fans are actually crazy. So it's that's a different level of crazy. That even Ohio State fans are not that, not at that level. I think the problem with Holtman isn't even just the, the lack of postseason success. It, feel like, it feels like there are problems – that aren't being fixed because it's the same thing every single year. It's almost as if, if I really wanted to, I could pre-write the entire Ohio State basketball season. I can pre-write the the top five win in November while everybody's still paying attention to basketball where I go, man, this team looks like it's ready to take the next step and be a Final Four team. I can pre-write the early Big Ten wins that goes, oh, man, Ohio State's probably going to win the Big Ten every year. I can pre-write that sometime in either January or February they're going to go on a four- or five-game winning losing streak where I go, oh, man, Ohio State's falling off a cliff here. They need to get it together. I can pre-write that them getting it together. It's like, oh, man, Ohio State looks like itself again. I can pre-write the they're going to lose four of their last five games. They go, oh, well, they better use this Big Ten tournament to find some type of momentum. And I can pre-write the, ter- the tournament post of, like, by this, by March fifteenth through twentieth, depending on you know the years and all that stuff, Ohio State season is going to be over, and I can pre-write that. Oh man, I know it sucked this year, but it's going to be better next year because look at the <laughs> recruiting class. So I can I can start that process right now if you really want me to, and have so much stuff done that I can focus on CJ Stroud winning the Heisman. That's pretty good. You should almost you should almost do that. You should write ten basketball stories this off season. And then say, I'm going to run them on these certain dates and then run them on those dates regardless. And then say, how close is this to right? And it could be like, oh, story number two is dead on. Oh, good for them. Story number three actually is not true because they did something better than I expected. That actually would be a funny exercise to undertake. John Calipari, uh, Sweet 16, eight of his first 10 years at Kentucky before COVID cancellation, bad under 500 year, lose as a two seed in the first round. I don't know if, I mean, if anybody, if like, if Kentucky fans want to swap coaches, I think Ohio State would swap coaches with you. People are that out on John Calipari right now. Um, so in the end, like I th- we do have to evaluate this season. So this season is what? Like as a grade, like a B minus? They're like tied for fourth 
in the Big Ten with Rutgers and Iowa. They're the sixth seed in the tournament. They're 12 and 8 in the regular season. They have the Duke win. They have the win at Illinois. And they lose to a clearly better team in the second round of the NCAAs. What is that? Yeah, you almost got it graded on a curve. Um, I'm okay with a B minus because the argument of you maximize what you had, even if you didn't have everything you were supposed to have, fine. But at the same time, you can't beat Illinois without those weapons, but then complain that you don't have those weapons when you lose to Nebraska, if that makes any sense at all. So I'll, I'll give it a B minus because, I mean, you did win a tournament game, and I said you needed to win a tournament game, but also you lost in the first weekend again. So, you know, what are we supposed to do with this? You know, they gave Ohio State, they got a lot of hype. They did a lot in the pregame, right? They got the CBS window. They were a CBS team, both mm-hmm. games. Yep. They got Reggie Miller. They got Kevin Harlan. They got the good announcing crew. They weren't buried on true TV, right? They gave these guys a lot of love. Mm-hmm. They played up this this 2.30 Sunday afternoon tip against nothing. They really The whole nation got to watch this. And and again, I, I want to talk about the, the Loyola game also before we leave, but I thought – so they made a run kind of early – in the second half and then Nova kept making shots and then they made another run and Nova kept making shots. And then Malachi went crazy and to cut that to two said a lot. And I thought Steven, like is Villanova. I mean, we know the Duke early season stuff, but Duke maybe Duke was a little inconsistent at that point in the season. I don't know if Duke's running into form a little bit, but was this the best team that Ohio state played this year? This Villanova team? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I thought what what Ohio State did in the second half to make those runs, I thought would have gotten them over the top against like maybe every team in the country except five of them. Mm-hmm. I think it would have gotten them over the top against Wisconsin or Illinois or even Purdue, as good as Purdue is. Like it's just I do think it's a and I think you had mentioned this during the year, depth to the Big Ten, more seeds than anybody more bids than anybody. But is the best of the Big Ten really as good? Like Villanova is better than anybody in the Big Ten. Like that's like yeah. Gonzaga is better than anybody in the Big Ten, right? So that's they ended up facing a team because they just they don't make mistakes, they don't get rattled, they don't give. They you know Ohio State turned them over a little bit, they forced a couple quick shots, Branham buried some big stuff, but Villanova didn't fold the way that sometimes when Ohio Ohio State's made runs on teams this year and sort of forced the opponent to fold. And Villanova refused to do that, which I think was an indication of, you know, the very best of the Big Ten this year was not top five level team in the country. But I thought I I didn't make a pick. And and I, I'm so wrong all the time. You guys know I'm this wrong. I wouldn't lie to you. So it was 71-61. The pick in my head, I picked 74-62. I picked Villanova by 12. And then... I didn't know that Ohio State would put that run in them. I thought to make the run to cut it to two, two Stephen, showed a ton. I mean, like that, like we talked. I've, I'm very, in, I'm very interested in. Do you have fun rooting for your team, man? Ohio State fans must have been screaming at the TV. They must have had a heck of a fun Sunday afternoon until the final three minutes, right? Yeah. So that's not nothing. That's not nothing. I thought Ohio State showed a lot fighting back the way they did. Yeah, my pick was 77-72, Villanova. So I'm not that far off. I thought, um, because at halftime, 
Villanova was winning the game because they were shooting the ball better than Ohio State was. They were shooting 52%. Ohio State was shooting 38%. But really, they were more shooting like 33% for most of the half while Villanova was flirting with 60. And so it's like, all right, Villanova's not going to shoot 55-plus percent from the field all game. That's just not how basketball yeah. works. And Ohio State's not going to shoot 35% from the field all game. At some point, that's going to flip, and that's when Ohio State can make the run. And, that, and then the question becomes – how much is Villanova up when it happens? Because then it, yes. it's like, is it going to matter when Ohio State finally makes that run? And what was impressive about it was you would have thought, given the what Kyle Young means to this team, when he gets knocked in the head and gets knocked out again with – nobody deserves to get hit in the head that many times in a year, man. Yeah. So um, that really sucks for Kyle Young. You would think that would have killed it. This team's done. Like that's all their energy, all their momentum just went to the locker room with Kyle Young. That's actually when the run started, really, when you started seeing Now, it, it kind of sparked with him because he had the block and the, and the hook shot at one point. But that's when Malachi started going crazy a little bit and EJ hit some jump shots and they were putting together some stops. That was, That's what made it interesting to me. I'm like, okay, I think they can tie it. I think they can push this to OT, but I don't think they're going to have enough energy if we get to OG, OT for Ohio State to actually win it. Now, obviously, Villanova started making some shots and it didn't matter. But I felt like – with like six minutes left to go and they're not down by that much, Ohio State, if they can make enough runs and maybe Villanova misses a big shot here or there, they could push this thing to overtime, which was impressive by my part because I definitely thought when Kyle Young went down, this team was done and this was going to be like a 15-point blowout. They were down by too much when they made their run, as you said. They were down 15 and cut it to two. They they. they they couldn't let it get more than 10, you know, that they, they, if, if, if they'd been down only 10, they would have had a shot. Now I know, I know Baylor came back from 25 down against Carolina the other day or whatever, but Ohio state doesn't again, have that depth of skill. When you only have two guys, uh, it makes it really hard to, to overcome those giant deficits. Cause it's really just those two guys bringing you back. So I want to talk about the Loyola win because we did not have a podcast about that. Um, that defensive effort, that connected the defensive effort. Again, I thought that was something that Ohio State fans watching that game, Stephen, were watching it, yelling at the TV, shouting when Ohio State forced shot clock violations, shouting when Ohio State was up in every guy's jersey for Loyola and making their leading scorer, Lucas Williamson, look like he didn't even want to be on the court sometimes. You know, you don't you don't have to have a team of lottery picks, if you play like a team and and you show fight. And I thought that was that kind of game that Ohio State fans had to walk away from that Loyola win when it was a pick game, when a lot of people thought they would lose, feeling good about the team and the program. That like, hey, these guys came out. Uh, they felt like they had something to prove because they thought people were doubting them and they locked it down. And it was like an ugly game in a lot of ways, but I think almost every Ohio state basketball fan appreciated that win, Steven, because they played so hard defensively and they played so together. Lucas Williamson made two shots. He made one field goal and he made one of his six free throw attempts. They had him shook. Now he was really great, good. great free throw defense. I thought from Ohio state all <laughs> yeah. like, it was, uh, <laughs> it had reached a point where I think they had missed like, both ends of the free throws, like three or four times in a row. I was like, man, they're missing a lot of free throws. What's going on here? Then I looked at their free throw shooting. I'm like, oh, they suck at these. Just keep sending them to the line. Keep fouling. And that's how you're going to win this basketball game. But, no, I thought it was the Kyle Young game in terms of 
that's how he plays, ugly, and it's not pretty to look at. He's always on the floor. It's dirty. It's grimy. So it was like the perfect game for him to come back and show his value. But more importantly, yeah, it was – listen, it took EJ and Malachi some time to find to figure it out. So you're challenging the rest of the guys. Don't You, you guys don't even have to score because they can't score either. They don't have any – they don't have an EJ Liddell and Malachi Brandon. Just play really high-intense defense until these two start figuring it out, and we're going to win the game by double digits. And what happened? They played high-intense defense. Malachi started figuring it out halfway through the first half, and then EJ came along for the ride later, and they won the game. But it was impressive the way – not even so much the team defense, like the individual defense and not letting guys blow past you. I hadn't seen that in a while because Penn State was doing whatever they wanted to do. Nebraska was doing whatever they wanted to do. Iowa was doing whatever they wanted to do. And even Michigan State to an extent – you're in a game where, one, you get Kyle Young back so you can switch everything, but more importantly, guys were taking their assignments seriously. And they did it again against Villanova. It just didn't work out as well. But that's what it came down to is the team defense is one team, but when guys step up to the challenge and actually want to sit down and guard, this is what can happen. You can hold a team to 30% shooting and only 41 points, which is only the third time this year they had held a team under 50. Um, the other one was Minnesota, who sucks, and IUPUI, who was basically a, a practice game. You and I had talked, I think we, I'd said, what do Branham and Liddell need to combine for to beat Loyola? And you said 42. Loyola only scored 41. Like, those two guys combined for 30, but the third scorer in that game was the defense. Yeah. Yes, Kyle Young had nine, but it was like, well, you don't really need a third scorer because they're only going to score 41, so we don't need that much more. We need EJ and Malachi plus 12. 12 more points on top of them, and that'll be enough to do it. So – so that was a formula. I thought that was just like a really good, like reassuring win that, again, it, Chris Holtman wasn't going to get fired if they lost to Loyola. But you were on it with the idea that this Loyola team doesn't have offensive guys that scare you. And so Loyola did play the kind of defensive game that I think anybody who picked against Ohio State was worried about, me included. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, if Loyola comes out and D's them up, I mean, listen, that's not a score that's going to get you over the top every time. 54 is not necessarily a winning score, but I did not know that Ohio State had that kind of defensive effort in itself. And to reveal it in that moment, when you're rested, when Kyle Young is back, you know, all those things lined up. But I thought it was... It confirms some of the things that Chris Holtman says about, hey, when we're healthy, we're this kind of team. And again, you're that kind of team against Loyola. Doesn't mean you're going to be that kind of team against Villanova. But being it against Loyola and getting that win, I think I think really did matter. I think this would have been – if they had gone home, Stephen, and I know guys were giving quotes like that after the game, right? If they had gone – if they had lost to Loyola, that really would have been you – know, you go out losing five of your last six, you lose to a worse seed again – that really would have been a rough way to end a season. And I thought that getting that win mattered. Yeah, because one, it gave you something to look at heading into the Villanova game. One, from a coaching perspective, go, listen, every team is not going to shoot 30%, but if we play defense like that, who knows how far this can go. But more importantly, yeah, you needed to get that. I don't. No one's thinking about the fact that they lost to Oral Roberts last year anymore. Even with the Villanova loss by 10, it's like you really – if you watch the game, 
the end score is a 10 point loss, but it's really like a six point loss given the way you played, especially once you got some things clicking and you got it down to two before, you know, it becomes a free throw shooting contest like college basketball teams typically games typically do. But this is this is a better way to go into an offseason than it was last year when now you have to answer a bunch of questions about how you disapp- you had a disappointing season. It's like, hey, we got off the first round. We played a team who might be in the final four, might win a national championship tough. And we did it without ever having our full team the entire season. EJ Liddell's gone. Whatever he's feeling now, he's feeling emotional things. He's going to be a first-round pick. He went through senior day. As you said, Chris Holtman's been pushing him out the door because it's the best thing for EJ Liddell. Is Malachi Branham back next year? What's your guess? And we know it's only a guess right now. I'll say yes. I think there is – obviously, it's really, really you know intriguing to jump out the NBA fruit that's hanging because especially if people are putting you in the late first round – but as I mentioned, the Trey Burke route, but also I'll even mention a more recent one. Jade and Ivy could have flirted with the NBA last year, even though he yep. averaged 11 points. And he came back and he's going to be a top five pick. And Purdue is one of the better teams in the country. So I don't – that's the that's going to be the conversation with Malachi that he's going to have to have with his family and with Coach Holtman. And even when he's talking to other NBA scouts, because he's for sure going to go get all the information he can. This is not okay. like EJ, where it's like, come back and you're going to be a first round. No, you can come back and be a top 10 pick. So I, I'll say yes, because like when that's that's a good reason to come back to school if you feel like you can make a lot more money. So I'll, I'll, I'll lean on the side. He'll be back. Kyle Young is gone. Yep. Jamari Wheeler is gone, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Justin Arns is gone. Mm-hmm. We talked about this. I kind of said it jokingly that like, hey, like Justin Arns, his minutes are going to go away. He didn't score in the NCAA tournament. 12 minutes, no points against Loyola, four minutes. He came in at the end. His role vanished like that. I'm not trying. This is not pinning anything on one guy. The fact that like their three-point shooter just kind of disappeared down the stretch is not was not great was not great. And, and, And I know they had a rough time playing him on defense. And then once he stopped making shots, he stopped being willing to take shots, and he just couldn't play. Yeah, I said that to somebody on the staff, and they looked at me like, yes, you are spot on. That's hard, man. I I, I will say, so again, you got to have – you got to deal with what you have. And we know that they basically played their team against Villanova except just as suing. But I do think, Stephen – we know EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham are two pros. We know Kyle Young is their glue guy. Jamari Wheeler has a role. I think his role was too big this year. But Eugene Brown, Jamari Wheeler, Zed Key, Justin Arns, Michi Johnson, said Russell as the other six guys in your nine-man rotation with Liddell, Branham, and Young. And I know Suing would have been in there. That's just one guy. Those other six guys, it's not good enough. Like it's it's there are too many guys playing important minutes in an NCAA tournament game against a Final Four contender who are too limited in one part of their game or all parts of their game, which goes back to some of the stuff of 
um, God, who was the guy who was a great defensive player who was no offense, who was recruited by Thad as a young guy and was here forever and then transferred? Oh. I, can't, I can't think of his name. Wasn't he from St. Louis or something? God, what's the guy's name? But the whole thing, what there had been some guys the past couple years who were sort of like one-way players, and like they're still there. Like they 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 need more talent, Stephen. They need more talent. It's not two pros, two pros, two pros. Yes, this uh, like like four through eight, they're not good enough right now. The gap between what you're you're top heavy because the gap between what your best is and what everybody else is is way too it's too wide for it that it almost overshadows the fact that you have two pros because they can only do but so much. I mean, they had 40 points today. They had 40 points on 50% shooting. And really it was 16 of 31 before they just, I think Malachi heaved up a three with like two seconds on the shot clock. They did, those two did their job today. Nobody else did theirs. So that's a combination of, yes, we keep talking about this recruiting class. And yes, that matters. The talent is coming, but also, I think Holtman made a mistake by adding Wheeler to this roster, and that's not necessarily a thing. It's indictment on Wheeler. It's an indictment on the reason why they went to go get him. And Holtman said it. They got Wheeler with the understanding that he was going to be the C.J. Walker to Dwayne Washington's Dwayne Washington when I'm not really sure why they were planning this roster as if Dwayne was coming back because he fits the description of a guy where – Whatever his draft stock is right now, that's what it's going to be, and it's not going to help by coming back another year. And obviously he's made more than that since he's on Indiana's active roster for the rest of the season and whatnot, but that, that was never Dwayne – John, Dwayne Washington Jr. was never coming back here. E.J. Liddell was. And it's going to be – he's going to have to be careful with that this time around with Malachi because I'm sitting here leaning saying he's coming back, but who knows? He might – there is a 25% chance that he doesn't, maybe even a 30% chance, but you can't – plan your roster that way with guys where you're not completely sure that they're coming back because it puts you in a position where you're right. Jamari Wheeler had to have a bigger role than what was expected of him. And you're stuck with, now you got to go get said Russell late when you didn't think you were going to have to go get said Russell. Um, Michi and Eugene Brown need to get better this off season because Michi didn't take that step. Eugene didn't really take that step. They're going to need to develop a lot this offseason, but then also that recruiting class is going to have to be ready, but then also whatever transfer, you're going to have to go get some guys out of the portal because you're losing a lot of seniors. They need to get better at who they add in the portal. They can't add these Jamari Wheeler, Cedric Russell types where it's like, this is the thing they do well. So if they don't do that well, then their liabilities on the court. They need to add guys who can do a couple of things well, even if they're not superstars. Musa Jallo was the guy I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Jello. Yeah. Um, Eugene Brown, like there was a spurt, maybe like in late January, February, where I got all excited. I thought Eugene Brown was coming and he wasn't. He's a defensive guy, like a three and D guy. He's a D maybe. Yeah. He's not a three. Are the three, <laughs> I, is the three stand for average three points per game? Is that what three and D is? Listen, I'm not here to make fun of college kids. It's Holtman's roster. It's Holtman's roster. He just had too many guys in roles where too much was expected of them. But then again, I mean, if he was on here right now, he would say, well, I thought Dwayne might be back, and I thought Justice Suing was going to be our third leading scorer. And then once that didn't happen, everybody got bumped up. And then I would say, well, okay, sorry. Like life in the big city, I don't know what to tell you. It's not like it, all teams have it, but they were. I, I guess they were a little bit living on a knife, a knife's edge 
Stephen, that once like if Suing's absence does this to you, you don't have enough depth of talent to begin with. And that Eugene Brown and Michi Johnson did not make big jumps. Listen, I don't want to hear. Can we not? I don't. If they ever get another transfer from Bucknell, I mean, it's great for the TikTok, the team's no. TikTok following. But this is why it drives me nuts. And, the, and the, oh, well, we got they got transfers from Utah State and Bucknell. The program saved. It's Ohio State. Don't take any more transfers from Bucknell. It's a wasted roster spot. Like, why Jimmy Sotos is here, great for his modeling career. Jimmy Sotos was smart to take it. Hey, man, I'm going to get a lot more TikTok followers at Ohio State than I am Bucknell. He's not good enough to be here. Why is he here? That roster spot should be a young guy developing into something. Like, this is – it's insane. Some of these rosters – roster spots, Stephen, it's ins- – it's. I can't believe some of these guys – it's Holtman's roster, and it's not good enough. You want to know what's crazy about the – Jimmy Soto's thing. I said that when he when they got him. I'm like, I don't know why he's here. He's never going to play here. And people kept asking me, you know, why doesn't he play more? Because he's not good enough to play here. He's not good right. enough. And the thing is, it's not like he was the type of because we've seen this before where these guys who are playing at mid majors and they're just dominating competition. It's like, oh, they're not going to average 25 here, but they can average 12 to 13 points. I mean, Seth Curry did that when he left Liberty for Duke. Jimmy Sotos averaged 11 points at Bucknell the year before he came to Ohio State. Nothing about what he did at Bucknell suggested he was going to be an impact player at Ohio State. At least with Cedric Russell, that kid was averaging 18, 19, 20 points a game. And so you're thinking, okay, maybe that translates to 10 points in the Big Ten. It didn't, but okay, fine. You take that flyer. The Jimmy Sotos one didn't make sense when it happened, and it played out about as badly as you thought it would. He was no more than – he played in – 12 games last year, 19 games this year, and he did more on TikTok than he ever did on a court. And said Russell, as you said, averaged six, 17 points at Louisiana last year, averaged four and a half this year. There were times people got excited about said Russell. He'd get hot for a game. Wasn't good enough over a consistent period of time to help them on a consistent basis. And so, like, I get it. I get it. I get it. The transfer portal is hard. I totally get it. Coaches are in a little bit of a pinch with it, but everybody's in the same pinch together. And I is Ohio state winning or losing the transfer portal in the Holtman era, like Luther Muhammad out Jimmy Mm -hmm. Sotos and Cedric Russell in DJ Carton out. And that guy from Utah State who got hurt immediately, like, and never played here in. Like, it's, I guess, like, Jamari Wheeler, I guess, was good. But, again, they wound up playing him too much. He's a defense-first guy. He's an assist guy who they wound up saying, hey, could you make, like, four threes a game for us? And he was like, "Uh, probably not, but I can try. It's not Jamari Wheeler's fault. So, I, I just don't – shouldn't the transfer portal for Ohio State be a net positive? Is that a reasonable – expectation that they bring in more than they lose or is Ohio state the kind of program that just might have pretty decent players go out if they don't exactly have the role they want. And then when they're trying to bring guys in, they're going to like lose out to Michigan and Duke and Kansas at the top tier guys coming in. And are they going to continue to be pinched in the portal? No, they sh- and as a matter of fact, they should almost be benefiting from the portal the same way. Let, let's just put okay. it in football sentence right quick. Ohio State's going to lose some top 100 recruits to the portal. 
right, in football every year because it's just top 105 stars coming in every single season. If you're Michigan State, you'd be looking at that and going, hmm, you can't play at Ohio State, but you can be our best player over here because Michigan State isn't at the same level as Ohio State as a football program. Well, in basketball, Duke, Kentucky, uh, Kansas, Michigan State to an extent, they're going to bring in the top dogs every single year and then have guys leave. North Carolina, they're going to have guys come in every year who think they should have this role and they don't necessarily get that. Why can't Ohio State go get that guy? Weren't they in the mix for a Carolina guy or initially? Wasn't there a guy who transferred from Carolina last year or two years ago? It was like, oh, maybe Ohio State will get the guy and he went somewhere else. That's what Ohio State should get. The guy who averaged 9.1 points per game for North Carolina this year who was a McDonald's All-American and was the fourth leading scorer on the team and thinks he wants to be the man, he should start for Ohio State next year. And I and it's not Bucknell. And it's been a little too much Bucknell. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. I guess Justice Suing was a good was a good ad. That's the type and, of guy right there. No, but, the Justice Suings of the world are the exact type of transfers they should be going to get. Him or, so, he should be the basement of the type of talent you should be getting out in the transfer portal. So again, and I know people are saying, but Doug, you said, you know, hey, well, it's good to make the tournament. It is. It's really good. They've been really consistent. But like there are things with roster building, with mostly with roster building, frankly. I mean, it it really is because it's like player development. It's not really player development. EJ Liddell developed into a heck of a player here. Mm-hmm. Malachi Branham developed like a maniac over the second half of his freshman year. Like if they get these guys here, I actually think they do a pretty good job. Of the, they've certainly, certainly developed some very good players here. I, I it, But they have to get more. They have to raise the talent level of the program. And that means don't recruit the Patriot League and the transfer portal. Or, or get the guy. I mean, every now and then it's like, oh, who, who's the guy for uh, Notre Dame? It's like, oh, the guy who won the game for Notre Dame in against Rutgers, like was from Yale. Yeah. It's like, all right, well get that guy, get the guy who scores 25 points a game at Yale. Don't get the 11 point per game Bucknell guy. And it feels like I'm picking on Jimmy Sotos and I'm not, I just don't want to be sold that in the off season. Do not try to sell 11 points per game from Bucknell and Steven, you weren't buying it from the get go, but don't buy it. Now they have a great, they have a very, very good, maybe great recruiting class coming in. And I know you've already written this, Stephen, since the end of this season, several hours ago. How did you, would you expect that with Liddell gone, if we think Branham's back, how would you expect the, the, the talent level of, say, the, of the rotation, of the top eight guys, how will it compare next year to what it was this year? I mean, Branham's going to be one of the best players in the country, so there's that. I think... If Suing's back, he's probably your number two, which is a good thing because then you're not asking anybody to do what Branham did last year, and you're not waiting on that. Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale Jr. and Bryce Sensenbaugh, they can maybe take a little bit more time, and you're not as panicky with it through the non-conference schedule. But I do think their nine-man rotation has a chance to be really good. Um, I got to see who else they get at point guard with Bruce Thornton. I think he's really good, but I don't know if Holtman, because he's a point guard guy, is just ready to let it turn a point guard loose, even if he is a top 50 recruit from day one, because he didn't do it with DJ Carton. He paired him with, you know, 
CJ Walker. And even then he like took away some of the point guard duties halfway through the season. So let's see what veteran point guard they get to pair with Bruce. Uh, let's Bruce kind of, you know, come along. Um, Michi. Could that be Michi? Can that be Michi? Can it be Michi and Thornton? Or, or do you think they might need to add? I think it should be Michi, but Michi didn't do enough this year to suggest that it's going to be Michi. That's, you know what I'm saying? Like if Michi's your backup point guard behind Bruce Thornton by February, that's a really good pairing, in my opinion. At least that's what I thought coming into this season. But he didn't do anything to, to prove that. So uh, Holtman's probably going to go out there and try to find another veteran point guard, which he shouldn't have to do. And now maybe he holds off. He kind of slow plays that and sees what Michi's development is over the next two or three months here is and doesn't go add somebody till June, July or something like that because you can wait that long. But I won't be shocked if he does that if Michi doesn't show the necessarily development that he needs to show, one, just – defensively but then more importantly you know with some of his decision making because I kind of phrased a question like this at the beginning of the season Michi has some Dwayne-ish qualities and I don't know if Holtman wants that to be a starting point guard so we'll see let's see how his development goes but I think he'll be in the rotation Eugene will be in the rotation okay let's 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 take let's take it bit by bit so we think let's we think point guard will be Bruce Thornton as a true freshman playing the most minutes plus Michi for now. Yeah. But there might be a guy to add there. So the two is who? Who's the two? With Malachi still on the roster? Malachi. Well, let's count Malachi here. Okay. So Malachi is the yeah, two. Malachi He's in the starting two. lineup as the two. Yeah. Who's your small forward? Starting small forward. Eugene Brown? No. Justice Suing. Justice Suing. Yeah. All right. And then who are your four and your five? Zed Key is your four for now and... I'll say no, Zedke's the five, and I'll say the four is inter transfer portal for right now. Okay. All right. So then you only have one of the incoming freshmen in the starting lineup if we have Bruce Thornton. There. Yeah. Okay. So then that's our five. Zed Key, Justice Suing, Malachi Branham, Bruce Thornton, and transfer portal power forward to be named. Mm-hmm. You said Michi will have Michi Johnson in there as a backup point guard. He's in the rotation. Roddy Gale as a true freshman in the yeah. rotation. Yeah. Bryce Sensenbaugh in the rotation yep. as a true freshman. Mm-hmm. And then Eugene Brown in the rotation. So that's your that's nine. If you're if you have the transfer portal power forward, then you have Michi and Eugene Brown as returning guys in the rotation mm-hmm. and and Gale and Sense Sensabaugh as freshmen in the rotation. Is there anybody that we're not adding in there that we should be adding in there? No, that sounds good to me. Okay. Does that so that's adding we gotta add a big guy. We gotta add a body, right? Yeah. That Zed Key is not who's the big guy in the recruiting class? Felix Apora. Can he play? I mean, is he gonna if they don't find a well, they'll find somebody. Yeah. Like they're gonna add how many transfer guys do you guess they would add at this point? Two? Four, two or three. I think two okay. or three depending on if Seth decides to come back or not. Okay. Is Seth Russell around next year or no? He's no, done, he's right? Because he played four years with Louisiana? Yeah. Okay. And Kyle Young's gone. and Yeah. So they do. They need another body. They need another big mm-hmm. – a bigger body in there. Um, and listen – I. It's one of these things. I don't know how to handle this. It's like if Malachi Branham developed so well 
that Chris Holtman and his assistants and Malachi Branham himself, first and foremost, did such a good job developing and pushing himself as a freshman that he leaves and he goes in the NBA lottery. Then you have this one year of Malachi Branham that you got like one tournament went out of. And that's a tough equation, but that's like you did too good of a job. And so that would, it wouldn't, would it blow a hole in next year's roster or would it be, you know, poke a hole in the roster? Like, can they still be a sweet 16 team if Malachi goes pro? Because I, and I am very torn at a place like Ohio State because for John Calipari and Coach K and guys like that, they know it. It's just a cycle, a cycle, a cycle, a cycle. It's not a cycle at Ohio State of one and done. It's not a cycle. And when a guy is so good, it's like, congratulations, goodbye. That actually, that's the title of, that'd be a great, that's like a, that feels like a teen romance novel. Congratulations, goodbye. <laughs> um, like, I, like, I'm not... That I would I would buy that a little bit. I would buy that from Chris Holtman more than I would buy, well, Justice Suing got hurt, and that was it. You know, it's like, this guy's going to be your best player. He maybe would come in the next season as one of the 10 best players in the country, and he might not be here because everybody involved, Malachi first and foremost, did a great job. I get that, but it's not going to help. It, you know, I it's like, Chris Holtman, I will buy that excuse. It's like, well, great. I will buy the excuse for the another season short of the Sweet 16 a year from now. But how big a deal would that be? Oh, no, I can't even think about it. Don't answer. No, no I don't want to do this to people. How big cool. a deal is it like on a scale of 1 to 10? 10 being it blows a hole in the season and 1 being, oh, they'll just get another guy who's just as good and fill in. What would Malachi Branham going pro be? Nine and a half. I, oh, my listen, God. Listen. Why? Told you not Listen, to answer it. I, People, go back in time and turn off the podcast. I didn't mean to do that to you. Listen, I actually gave Holtman a chance to answer that question on the record, knowing he was going to find a way to cop out and answer it, um, because we got him off to the side after they did the podium thing, because, you know, we're, we're good at our jobs. Um, and I basically said, like, how important – I basically asked him how important is Malachi Branham's decision, and his answer was like, well, you know, there's the decision of a lot of these guys, Malachi, and Justice, you know, the PR answer he has to give. I'm going to tell you exactly what the answer is going to be. Malachi Branham comes back. Justice Sewing comes back. You pair it with this recruiting class, and they make the right decisions in the transfer portal. Ohio State's a preseason top 10 team, and Final Four should be on everybody's mind. All of that happens, and Malachi Branham doesn't come back. I don't know if this team can make the Sweet 16. He's that good. And he just spent the last two games and basically the second half of the season showing it, that he is a professional basketball player who is – 25 maybe 15 pounds away from being a top 10 pick so it's funny it's, it's like every malachi Branham jump shot it's like if he misses the jump shot i'm like oh he's staying if he makes the <laughs> jump shot i'm like oh he's going like after the first half i was like well they're gonna lose to villanova but at least the good news is Branham will be back next year and then he went nuts in the mm. second half and i was like wow they might win but he's also leaving so i know that's not actually how it goes but, man, there was like an eight-minute stretch there, Stephen, where it was like, man, I think he could do that for Oklahoma City next year. Those 17-footers are going to go down no matter who's guarding him. And I'm not sure if this is good or bad. So the idea that, like, Malachi Branham got super hot in the second half, 
looked like a pro, and they still lost, really might be threading the needle of two worst-case scenarios there where he did not get you into the Sweet 16 this year. But, man, there might have been some NBA teams who were like, that looks good to us. What if that's how he's doing? He was 10 of 19, and so there were 10 times where he hit a shot. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm out of here, baby. And then there's nine times where he's like, man, I should really come back next season. And then he's looking at the score like, I did all of that, and we lost by 10? It's no – I. It will be interesting. Um, it is a little bit – listen, you want to develop yourself for the next level. But also, winning is fun. I don't know, I mean, how much it factors in the millions and millions of dollars in setting up you and your family for the rest of your life certainly is first on the list. And chasing your dream that you've had since you were a little kid to play in the NBA. The idea to come back and be the guy, not EJ's sidekick, to be the man from day one, not developing – through November and December. I mean, there is a little bit of an allure to that, right? Because that's not what this, he was not Malachi Branham Mm -hmm. for a full college season. He was for half a season. The allure of like, what could I look like? Could I score 25 a game? Can I be a first team All-American? Can I be the Big Ten player of the year? Can I be the guy that carries my team? All that is out there for him. But I mean, does it matter? Does it matter compared to, oh, they think I might go 12th. I, it maybe doesn't matter. Yeah, it's hard because it's not a situation of like strike when the iron's hot because it's only going to get hotter a year from now. Even if he does, he averaged like, what, 13 points this year? Let's just say he only averages 17 points next year, but he shoots like 50% from the field and he averages like four or five rebounds and three or four assists with it. Most smart NBA scouts, especially because of the way he plays and approaches the game, that's the thing that makes him a pro. It's not even so much that like he's making these shots. It's some of the decision-making he makes, man. He had some moments out there, as the Texans already know, and probably the rest of the country because uh, I mean, you can see us on TV. I was sitting next to Greg Oden at the game, and who better to have a conversation with about you know going being a one-and-done player at Ohio State than Greg Oden, who was the number one pick in the NBA draft. And there were some moments where I looked at him and went, he made some plays where I was like, everybody else who tries to make that plays as the polar opposite and it ends up in a bad way. And he would go, yup. And I'm like, so should he? And we actually had like a small conversation at halftime once he got back from the locker room. I won't dispose everything we talked about, but just like the, the idea of like what we should be looking at and why Malachi should go pro and why Malachi should come back. And I'll probably get into that sometime in the offseason when I write about him. But it is, it's, it's interesting with Malachi because there's generational wealth and getting drafted number 21 and there's generational wealth and getting drafted at number four. And those are two very different things. And it is a different scenario when you come in with all the hype and from game one, everybody's trying to double team you and game plan for you versus, Oh, I popped up after the Nebraska game and now people have to worry about me. I do wonder he, he only made uh, like one, three a game. Basically he averaged like 1.13 per game. He's a 42% three-point shooter, but I could see coming back and instead of you know shooting, shooting two and a half a game and making one, shooting six a game and making two and a half. I could see the league yeah. wanting – because listen, I mean the mid-range game is great, but you got to be able to shoot, right? Yeah. I mean he's going to need to be a shooter from all spots in the court. So to come back and work on his three-point game – I could see that being something he adds to his arsenal. Like the thing with EJ, when EJ came back, it was like, well, EJ definitely had things that he could do to get better. And then he did them all. Like he did all the things. Yeah. He's like a different person and a different player than he was a year ago. He's a, he's a much more versatile player. 
And you can see how much more attractive he made himself to the NBA while also making himself a better player for Ohio State. Right? I mean, that, you can yeah. see where the ways, as you've said, the ways Malachi could make himself more attractive to the NBA. Yeah. I mean, EJ did not shoot threes when he got here. Like, didn't shoot him. Not less, he couldn't shoot him, but also he didn't shoot him. And now he's starting off games being like four for four, five for five from three point range. That's a whole different person. Where Malachi can improve himself, one the, the the size we know that he can't be 185 pounds and six foot six and survive. We we know that, but it's I think his playmaking. I think that can get highlighted more than just at the end of the games when they tried to do it, especially late in the season. I think that can go up. And how can he impact the game if he's not shooting the ball? Mm. I think. He's a decent rebounder, but that, that that's the one thing I noticed about EJ this year. Some of his stat lines would be like 18 points, nine rebounds, four assists, three blocks, and a steal. Like he was an all – he affected every aspect of the game. While with Malachi right now, it's very much I can score. And even his coach, Drew Joyce, would tell you that was always going to be easy for him. He was going to get up here and start scoring, which that happened. Okay, can you create for everybody else now that you're the number one guy? Can you rebound? Can you improve defensively, which he struggled at times defensively? I want to see that part of Malachi. And I think for a guy who I'm saying could be a top 10 pick a year from now, I'm pretty sure some scouts are going to say, if you want to be a top 10 pick, you got to be able to impact the game and more than just scoring. Because if you look at Jaden Ivey, he does that. Paolo, uh, Chet. All these Jabari Smith, all these guys are going to be that this year. They have packed the game in multiple ways. So that's going to be the thing I want to see with Malachi if he does come back is, you know, what's his, is it going to be 15 points or rebound and assist? Or is it going to be 15, 16 points, six rebounds, three assists and a steal? Because that looks like a top 10 pick to me. And he also could work on his three-point shooting, his playmaking, and his defense with millions of dollars he in his could. bank account he after he's the 17th the 17th pick and his team in the NBA yeah. says, hey, work on this. Maybe even go to the G League yeah. for like 12 games and work on this. But, you know, drive your, uh, you know, your new uh, Acura. Yeah. What's like a good, like a good. Get him like a Tesla. No, uh, just get him a Tesla so we don't have to worry about these gas prices. Tesla. Yeah, just get get your new Tesla and go down there. You know, get the get a nice new pair. You know, you can stop at Chipotle and get double meat on the way down because you're an NBA player now. So, um, you know, it's a big it's a big deal. It's a, it's it's officially a nine and a half. Just in case anybody was wondering, if you thought, oh no no no, it might be a three. It might be a three. Nope, no. nope. It is a nine and a half according to Stephen Means. So that is a huge decision. Do we know uh, timing on anything? Like when, because you can go, he'll go. Do you think he'll go to the camps and the workouts just like so many, like Caleb Wesson did, like yeah. EJ Liddell did before they came back? Do you think he'll at least do that? Yeah. Dwayne did that and then stayed. Yeah. And so did EJ. The deadline this year, since we're back on like a normal clock, is April 24th for underclassmen looking to declare. Okay. So I would suspect that sometime in the next couple of weeks, they'll be putting out some graphics of EJ and Malachi saying that they're going pro. It's just hard because it's one of those things. It's like, so Malachi Branham, he'll just go, he'll go to some of the workouts and some of the camps and some of the places where the NBA will love him. Because <laughs> even like, like even EJ, like when Dwayne and EJ went to do it last year, right? Was not the consensus, Stephen. Dwayne is going to go test and probably go pro. EJ is going to go test and probably stay at Ohio State. Was that the general consensus? Yes. Yes. And that was related maybe not just to their style of game, but just sort of where they were in their careers, right? Just what mm-hmm. they were ready for. 
But as good as EJ Liddell was a year ago, and he was an excellent player, I don't, I think that, again, people sort of thought, ah, he might not be quite ready. He's not maximized. EJ, I'm not, he's probably a second round pick, and I'm not even 100% sure he gets drafted last year. Yeah. I mean, he might be a lottery pick now. Like, and I, when I say lottery, I mean like 12, 13, 14, not like seven, eight, nine, depending and on how things close out here. And that's just very different from Malachi's situation. Yes. Because Malachi is not, will I maybe be a second round pick? It's like, I'll be a first round pick. Well, could I, how much of a higher mm-hmm. first round pick would I be? So, but he's going to go and people are going to like him and he's going to have a choice. For what it's worth, so, the, that's the, um, the 24th is the deadline to, declare the deadline to withdraw for for um, early entries is june 13th so it's going to be two months so long yeah, you have two months of okay. of asking me once a week if malachi branham is coming back or not it's just like so it's one of those things i obviously now that the browns have traded for deshaun watson and given up their first round pick garrett wilson is not going to be a cleveland brown I so i had been joking that i was willing to talk down garrett wilson if need be just to get him to Cleveland, just be like, eh, Jets, I don't know. I don't know. I saw him at McDonald's one time. I think he might like French fries, like whatever it would take, just in a fun, light, casual way. So so now the, that now it's talking down Malachi, Malachi yeah. Branham. It's like, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, he only made one three a game. I don't know. Can we call Odell Beckham Sr. and ask if he could put together a low lights tape of Malachi Branham? <laughs> I mean, it's for his own good. No, I'd say, I mean, like all the best to Malachi Branham. He's going to be a heck of a pro. He's going to have million dollars, millions of dollars in his bank account at some point. He just decides to decide when and how much. So he can't make a wrong decision. He's put himself in this position. And uh, it just happens to hugely impact Ohio State's basketball program. And E.J. Liddell is certainly gone and has served Ohio State incredibly well. And before we go, Stephen, I do want to end with this on E.J. Liddell. It'll be interesting Thad Mata was around here for a decade plus and talked all the time about his early guys here. Jaquel Foster, Matt Sylvester, J.J. Selinger, Terrence Diles, the guys who were part of those first two teams for him, especially then in that second year when they won the Big Ten. Um, you know, Chris Holtman inherited Jayshon Tate and Kate Bates-Diop, who really helped, you know, make that first season great. But I do like so far, EJ Liddell is clearly the defining player of the Chris Holtman era to this point. I guess with Kyle Young in their two separate ways, Kyle's been here for every second of Chris Holtman, and we saw how valuable he was to this team. But EJ obviously is just a better, more skilled player overall. If Chris Holtman winds up with a long tenure here, a long successful tenure, and Chris Holtman's here for a decade plus, and 10 years from now, Stephen. Ohio State's made a couple, you know, made multiple Sweet 16s, has been to a Final Four, maybe even won a national championship. EJ Liddell, I think, will be talked about in a way that, hey, remember how Chris Holtman won Ohio State's first national championship in 65 years or 70 years? Well, remember how the guy who sort of helped lay the foundation for that whole era era was EJ Liddell? Or if Chris Holtman is like out the door in two years, then I think it affects not that EJ Liddell would not be welcomed back, but he's a foundational player for how Chris Holtman wants to play basketball at Ohio State and how Chris Holtman does and how long he does it, I think will affect a little bit of EJ Liddell's legacy. Yeah, Kyle, 
first Kyle Young's um, connection is interesting just because he was committed to Holtman at Butler. And then when Chris Holtman took this job, one of the first thing he did was go contact Kyle Young and bring it with him. So there's that. Um, EJ Liddell has a chance to be Chris Holtman's Evan Turner. Because, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. I mean, Evan Turner got out of here as a number two pick in the NBA draft, and he's got his jersey retired. And he was, at that point, probably the best individual player post Greg Oden, Michael Conley. He he carried those Ohio State teams who didn't make the tournament, lost in the first round, lost in the Sweet 16. So let's just match that up with EJ. Sweet 16 team, according to Holtman. Loses in the first round upset, loses in the first round upset. That's pretty similar as far as team success mm-hmm. from my standpoint. And both of those guys left here as All-Americans in their third year, both also from Illinois. So there's that part of it. But, yeah, but what happened the moment Evan Turner left? That 2010 recruiting class showed up and and Thad Mata was off and the era was off. They got better. They got so much better, even though they lost the best player in the program. What's yep. Ohio State about to do? Lose the best player in the program after his third year, and they're about to add a recruiting class that's top 10 in the country. Let's see what happens next year. And I think that's the thing, and we've talked about that. If you take Odin and Conley out of the Mata era, the first five years is not that dissimilar from Mata and Holtman, and this Liddell-Turner comparison is spot on. And and I can very distinctly remember being at the NCAA tournament and they lose. They should, I think they lost to Tennessee in the sweet 16. David Lighty got in foul trouble. They should have beaten that team. They didn't. Um, and then I remember being at one of the, cause er, I think Evan Turner won two different national player, players of the year mm-hmm. and being at the Sarah, you know, being in Indy and Evan Turner getting that award. And then just like having conversations with people of like, Oh no, like Ohio state is going to be better next year. They're going to lose the national player of the year and be better. And it was like, what? And it's like, wait till you see this Sullinger guy. All and Deshaun Thomas and Aaron Kraft and Jordan Seibert and the rest mm-hmm. of this group, right? And then it was true. And the next year, now the one thing that's different, Stephen, is they lost Evan Turner, but they added Sullinger and Kraft and those guys to David Lighty, yeah. William Buford, John Diebler, and that made a difference. Uh, they don't if now Malachi is huge, but they still they don't have it. Diebler, Lighty, and Buford were three pretty talented, experienced guys to add that freshman group too. If if that if if Branham's here, can Justice Suing, Malachi Branham, and Michi Johnson be Buford, Lighty, Diebler? Mm-hmm. Or you know, like that's going to be the question because. You, you can't put it all on the freshman. The reason that Jaron Sullinger and Aaron Kraft and those guys were able to succeed so quickly is because they had those older guys to lean on. Mm-hmm. And then they were the best team in the country. Those guys came in and they were the best team in the country and they should have won the national title. And they were the overall one seed in the tournament and lost in the Sweet 16 to Kentucky. So that's what's out there, which is why you can't just like you, it's Chris Holtman's not going anywhere. You have to let this play out. You have to let at least one year of this play out because that's the potential, Stephen. That I think is a – we're not saying they have to be the best team in the country, but you outlined it, what they could be, a top 10 preseason team and a legit Final Four contender if Branham stays and you add this freshman class to that. So that's what we have to wait and see. Okay, that was a good conversation. This year should have been a little better, but um, they had a nice one against Loyola. And to cut that 15-point deficit against Villanova to two in the second half, uh, I think showed something. And now, you know, it's not going to do anything for Ohio State, but I think Villanova might 
make the Final Four. I think Villanova might. They're not my national title favorite, but they're pretty freaking good. So we'll see what those guys do. They get Michigan next. And um, I think, you know, there's no shame in losing to Villanova. It's kind of a shame that Ohio State didn't have a better overall season. We have a lot of football coming up this week. Tuesday, we'll get to watch practice again. We'll get to talk with Ryan Day. Wednesday is Ohio State's pro day for the football players. We'll have coverage of that. And then Thursday, we get to talk, I think, to defensive linemen. Is that correct, Steven? Yes, it is. So the football team was off all of this week on spring break. It was heavy basketball. I don't know. It just kind of worked out perfectly. Got a big chunk of basketball this week, and that basketball was nice enough to clear the way for spring practice for football to take uh, take control of Buckeye Talk and our coverage once again. We hope you guys are reading cleveland.com slash OSU. We hope you are subscribed to Buckeye Talk. As always, we appreciate you making us part of your Ohio State fandom. For Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.